On the Virtual Bible Study tonight, we want to talk about Bible authority. You know, we're winding down the Virtual Bible Study, Jacob. we got tonight and next week is the last two programs of the Virtual Bible Study. And we thought we, I kind of was thinking about all the important topics we've covered over the years. And I think maybe the one we want to review tonight is right up there at the top. I don't know if you can rate them all top to bottom, but Bible authority is such a crucial subject and so widely misunderstood in the religious world. So we're going to review Bible authority tonight. A very important topic and an important discussion. We're getting started right after this. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and we welcome you to the virtual bible study for thursday december 22nd 2022 thank you for joining us tonight my father greg going is here hello dad jacob great to be with you tonight good to be with you kyle's here kyle glad it's, to be with you yeah, it's good to be and we're glad that you're listening on the other end of the line tonight. We would love to hear from you at 931-381-4567. You can email questions at collegeview.com and sign in with the chat room to chat with other listeners if you're listening to us live tonight. We've got them out on the east or the west coast tonight. Brian is out there in California. Grant and Janie are in uh, Franklin, Tennessee. I think Robert's down in Florida. Dwight and Michelle are out in uh, Iowa. Cold Iowa. I, I got a text from... Uh, uh, Dwight, just uh, uh, an hour or more ago, and it was already minus nine uh, in mm. Ames, Iowa. Mm. Wow. Um, so, yeah, hunker down there. And then I, I think Jeff might be in Tennessee. I'm not sure. So, yeah, sign in. Let us know where you are tonight on the virtual Bible study. Great to be able to study with you tonight. A uh, little, little bit of housekeeping before we get started tonight. Jacob, remember our uh, daily Bible reading calendars are available uh, if you'd like a hard printed copy of that, get us uh, a message, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com and give us your U.S. snail mail address and we'll get it in the mail to you. Should have plenty of time to get it before the start of the new year. Okay. Uh, so have been getting several requests and had to print more. And that's, good. that's a good thing. Yeah. So uh, if you want one, let us know. Okay. All right. Uh, let's get into the subject. All right. So as, as, I, as I was saying, Jacob, I was trying to think about all the important topics we've covered in 17 and a half years worth of the virtual Bible study. Uh, and uh, as we announced last week, we've decided to wind the program down at the end of the year. So this week and next week are our final programs. And there's just, of course, just tons of important subjects that we've dealt with over all those years. But I really think that a lot of those subjects if you if you kind of refine them and boil them down, they get back to the question of Bible authority. Yep. You know, how do we basically Bible authority is the question of how do you go to the Bible and from the Bible determine what God wants you to do? Yeah, that's uh, what this program's about. And so uh, I thought it'd be really good to just go back over some of the points that we've made over and over again in the Virtual Bible Study, reviewing uh, the bare principles of how we establish Bible authority. 
By the way, uh, while I'm talking about that, I want to give a heads up to our program next week, which will be our last one. We'd like uh, a lot of you all who are such regular listeners and participants, we'd like to ask you to make a plan to call in next week and give us a shout-out uh, on our last program next week. So mark your calendar and be tuned in, and, and hopefully we can get uh, uh, a number of people to call and kind of tell us uh, uh, a final shout uh, on the virtual Bible study. All right. All right, about Bible authority. Here's the questions that we sent out earlier today to our update list. What are the three basic ways we can establish Bible authority? And then, as an example, how do each of these methods work in regards to observing the Lord's Supper? That's an old illustration of how you apply the principles of Bible authority. And, uh, but it's such a perfect one, and we want, to, we want to use that again tonight. And then we want to talk about some of the very common errors that are made about Bible authority. Uh, and we'll talk about those when we get to them. Let's start on that first question, Jacob, the three basic ways to establish Bible authority. All right. And this is not a magical formula. This is how we would communicate today. If we wanted to communicate some idea or some concept to people today, we'd use these same principles that are used in the Bible. Yeah. Uh, We have been accused of dreaming this up, that we invented this methodology, and it's just simply not true. It's the way communication works. And we also know it's the way that they communicated in Bible times. I mean, right. it's, it's it's not new. It's not, you know, some, you know, dreamed up thing. It's just the way people communicate. And so when we talk about how to establish Bible authority, we talk about a direct command or statement. You know, go to the store and buy milk. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's. You don't have to have a whole lot of uh, interpretive skills to understand that when you're told directly to do something, that's what you're supposed to do. Or when you're told directly not to do something, don't touch that dial. Yeah. <laughs> you know, th- that's the easiest way to understand what someone wants you to do. God communicates to us that way in the Bible. There, there are direct commands and statements in the Bible that indicate what God wants and what he doesn't want. Mm-hmm. Very easy. Yeah. Uh, then there in the in the scriptures we understand that approved example when when we have now not every example in the bible is an approved example sometimes we have the record in the bible of people who did bad things for instance in acts chapter 5 uh, ananias and sapphira lied about a contribution they made right. well that's an example but it's not an approved example and so uh, it it is appropriate for us to to add that that uh, qualifier that it needs to be an approved example. But notice what the Apostle Paul said uh, in uh, uh, Philippians 4, verse 9. He said, Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Notice he said, he said Do what you saw me do. Yep. So basically what we have there is a command to follow apostolic example. Yeah. So when we see an approved example where the apostles are engaged in an approved act uh, of service to God, then that establishes authority for us to act. Yeah. So direct commander statement, approved example. And then finally, we talk about necessary inference. Uh, 
when we talk about necessary inference, uh, we're talking about uh, sometimes we use the expression an inescapable conclusion. And so something is so, something, some scenario exists and it, 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 there's, there's no way to conclude anything other than this must necessarily be true. A necessary inference. Uh, something is implied in the scripture and we infer from that what we are to do. And it has to be a, 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 an inescapable conclusion, a necessary one. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I think we'll talk more about this uh, as we go on. But for instance... In Hebrews chapter 10, 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. There's a command to assemble. If you think about it, the command to assemble implies that there must be a designated place of assembly. You can't, you can't assemble if there's not a, a designated place to do so. And so there's a, there's a, inescapable conclusion that the command to assemble would therefore authorize a place to assemble. Yeah. That's what we refer to as necessary inference. Yeah. And Kyle, I'm thinking, you know, on the job, if you're, if you go to start a new job, um, you would be trained on that job on how to do that job in those three areas, right? You'd be first off, they'd tell you, you've got to do this. You you know, maybe uh, Kyle leaves here every Thursday night and goes, he stays up all night to be a nurse. Kyle, you know, maybe they'd say you, you need to log certain things. Right? So you have to, that's a command. You might be training with someone and say, okay, here, here's how we do this. So you give it you an example. Watch an example. Mm-hmm. So you have the, you have the command, fill out your, your medication logs. You show a new employee by example right. how to do it, what yep. to do. Yep. How would, how would inference work on that? Well, Kyle, they, may, they might tell you that you need to do something, but not give you specifics on that, right? Or how about this? You tell this new employee, if this is not in this folder by 6 a.m. tomorrow morning, somebody's going to lose their job. I mean, that, that would be a, the, 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 the inescapable conclusion from that is, I better get this done or yeah. I'll lose yep. my job. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. I think it's... It doesn't have to be outlined. <clears throat> we have guidance. We have instructions on what to do. But anything outside of that is obviously inferred that we don't do that because that's not what the Bible, that's not what's instructed. That's never been implied. That means we don't do what's not. And on the job as a nurse, Kyle, if you deviated from those instructions, there could be somebody's life yeah. that is on the line and here, right? You don't get creative when uh, with the, what you're supposed to do with your expectations. You do what you're told. Yeah, which we can, we make this illustration because we wouldn't do it on our jobs, but we would certainly make that, you know, we capitulate in spiritual. Yeah. In, yeah, in I think you're right, Kyle. You know, this is, actually, this is just common sense logic as, as to how you determine what you're supposed to do. And you would you would apply that logic on the job. You would apply that logic in, in almost every endeavor of, of our day-to-day living. But for some reason, when it comes to religion, people want to toss that out. Uh, I, I have made the point before uh, that I think one of the breakdowns of our education system in, in the last generation has been a failure to teach simple principles of logic, you know, and, and this is a logical matter. This is not an emotional matter. This is, 
This is applying common sense and logic, interpretive skills to know what God wants us to do. Yeah. All right. Um, so Dwight and Michelle in the chat room reference direct command, necessary inference, and apostolic examples as the three ways we establish authority. Um, look Look what Kent said. Kent from Georgia sent in an email earlier, and I never heard it said this way. Then he, he says the same thing. We, we ascertain Bible authority by specific statement, example, and inference and implication. But he also said God has always stated his will in Scripture by stating what his will is, showing what his will is, and apply, implying what his will is. He's always done that. And it's what, it's what you do as well. It's what I do as well. It's what we all do. If we're communicating with others, it's those same three ways. It's, it's just natural. It's not something that we just dreamed, dreamed up. So I, I heard an illustration I thought was pretty good. Here's, here's a mother, and it's Saturday morning, <clears throat> uh, and uh, uh, the house is a mess, and it needs cleaned up. And so she tries to convey the idea to the kids to to get up and join in and help clean the house. And so the first thing she decides to do is she, says, she sets an example. She gets real busy. She's working real hard. She's cleaning the house. The kids are just laying there on the couch. are still not doing anything. So the, she tried by example to show them what she wanted them to do. Then maybe she says, if this house doesn't get cleaned up, we're not going to the ball game tonight. So she implies this is necessary in order to get to go to the ball game. So she's used example, and then she implies something that they ought to be able to conclude from, but they still don't do anything. They just lay on the couch and they don't do anything. And so finally she says, get up off the couch and get busy cleaning this house. So, so finally she makes a direct command. That's how we communicate. That's exactly how we communicate. All right. When we get back, uh, we need to look at uh, an example of this. And uh, it has been proposed that uh, the particular Lord's Supper is a concise way to show all three in action. Exactly. And uh, we'll look at that when we get back. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. Here's a quick thought. When doubts filled my mind, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer psalm 94 19 in uncertain times we can find comfort renewed hope even cheer from god and him only where will you put your trust today god wants you to trust in him seize the day here's some quotes worth pondering There's too much importance put on the manner of delivery and not enough on the matter that is being delivered from our pulpits today. Many persons have a wrong idea of what constitutes true happiness. It is not attained through self-gratification, but through fidelity to a worthy purpose. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than fear. Martha Washington said, I am still determined to be cheerful and happy in whatever situation I may be, for I have also learned from experience that the greater part of our happiness or misery depends on our dispositions and not upon our circumstances. Man, wish I'd said that. 
And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3, 17. Now back to the program. And we're back on the program tonight talking about uh, Bible authority and uh, the principles around that. Direct command, apostolic example, necessary inference. Approved apostolic example, necessary inference. Three ways that we obtain authority from the scriptures. And the Bible shows us how to do that in one simple area. Yeah. So the Lord's Supper really works as a perfect illustration of all three. Actually, you need all three of those methods to get the full picture of how the Lord's Supper is supposed to be observed. First of all, a direct command tells us what to do. Paul recounted what Jesus taught in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, beginning. For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So notice uh, uh, he said, Take, eat. Uh, he, he said, uh, uh uh, drink ye all of all of you drink of this cup. Uh, so th- there's a direct command. He, he he told them what to do and commanded them to use these elements uh, in an act of remembrance of his death uh, on the cross. And so the direct command tells us what we're supposed to do. But that doesn't answer all the questions relative to the Lord's Supper. For instance, when are we supposed to do that? It, Jesus didn't say when. Jesus himself never specifically instructed or gave command as to when the Lord's Supper was to be observed. But we have that information by way of an approved apostolic example because in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, it says, On the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. So here's here's a, a gathering of Christians. The Apostle Paul is there, so we, we get the apostolic approval to what they were doing. They came together on the first day of the week. And that expression, by the way, we won't take time to, to, to prove that, but we could easily prove that that expression, to break bread, is a reference to the Lord's Supper. They came together on the first day of the week to observe the Lord's Supper. Paul was there, therefore observing it on the first day of the week is an approved example with the Apostle Paul in attendance at that assembly. So, when are we going to do it? Well, seems like we ought to do it on the first day of the week. That's what the, that's what the first Christians did. That's what the Apostle Paul did with the saints that were at Troas. Interestingly, that's the only information we have in all the New Testament about when to observe the Lord's Supper. And someone said, well, boy, it seems like if it's, if, if that, that should be repeated more than once. How many times does it need to be repeated? Would, would three times be enough? Ten times? How about just one time? If we have that information given one time, I don't think we need any more than that. And uh, some would say, well, it just doesn't matter, you know. Well, how do you know that God's happy with that? We know he's happy with it on Sunday. How do you know he's happy with it on Monday? You don't. And you can't do it by faith unless you have some direction from God. And and we're going to talk later uh, about spe- specified things. When, when God specifies something, other things are excluded. 
this is a specification of of the first day of the week. Yeah. And since that's specified, as you say, we'd be going way out on a limb to try and do it on some other day. Yeah. That's very easy. That's that's not rocket science, Jacob. That is not hard to understand. That's how we figure out what to do and when to do it. And back to the uh, the job, uh, Kyle. You know, if we if if we knew that our boss was happy if we did something one way. Why would we take any chances and say, you know, I'm, I know that he likes it this way. I think I'm going to be sort of creative tonight and do it a different way. We don't, we don't do that. No, it's, there's, we have leeway within, <clears throat> within what is prescribed. You know, we have some things, we have a way of doing things somewhat better within the limits of what we've been given. But to take it a whole different route and say, you know what, like an architect – I'm going to scrap all the plans. Like, you know, uh, he don't know what he's talking about. So it's, yeah. it would be better if I do it this way. Yeah. What so. you're talking about, Kyle, is the idea of expedience. And we mm-hmm. want to talk about that later in the program. Sometimes God gives us the freedom to use our judgment and how to carry out certain instruction. But when he specifies what he wants, then we got to do it the way he said. Yeah. So we got command for the Lord's Supper tells us what to do. Example, approved example tells us when to do it. And then the other aspect of authority, necessary inference. So we still don't have all the answers to our questions. We're, we know we're supposed to take the, the, the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine, uh, remembering the body and blood of Jesus. We know we're supposed to do it on the first day of the week. But there's one more question to be asked. On which first day of the week? How often on the first day of the week? You know, there's a first day of the week, 52 times a year. Uh, should we do it like the first Sunday every month? Should we do it the the, the Sunday that follows the full moon? Uh, should we do it uh, just once a quarter? Uh, and, and in the religious world, there's people are all over the board on that question. But actually, if we use scriptural concepts, What's inferred here is, or what's implied and what we must infer, what's implied is that this was a regular practice of the Christians in Troas. It doesn't say it was the first Sunday of the month. It doesn't say it was the first Sunday after the spring equinox. It doesn't say it was uh, uh, the the final Sunday of summer. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't do that. And so what you must infer from that is, this was a regular practice of the Christians in Troas. This is something they did every first day of the week. All right. Uh, 931-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. We see all three there in the in the Lord's Supper. Actually, there's actually, and we've made this point lots of times, but we've got to repeat it tonight, Jacob. Think about the, the Israelites in the Old Testament. The fourth of the Ten Commandments was remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It didn't say, it didn't specify which Sabbath day, and therefore the Israelites inferred this was something they should do. Every, they should remember the Sabbath day every Sabbath day. Yeah. They were right about that, obviously. And that would be the exact same reasoning and logic that we would use to observe the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. All right. David in the chat room says we can use necessary inference to conclude that the church was established on the day of Pentecost. It, because it, uh, we don't have a, a direct statement that says that. We can't infer that Jesus said he would build his church 
and that the events surrounding, uh, surrounding Pentecost demonstrate that the church has been established there in Acts chapter 2. Okay, so we use that kind of logic uh, a lot. Uh, they did in Acts chapter 15 as well in the discussion around circumcision. Yes. They had, we see all three of those. Uh, those. That's a little more involved example, but it's a perfect one. That, that they came together to discuss the idea that must Gentiles be circumcised? That's a discussion about authority. That's the, that's the basis of that discussion. Yeah. Not what we want, but what does God want? Yeah. And they, they use three different ways to determine that it's God's will. In Acts chapter 15, verse 7, when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. What do we have there? That's a direct command, right? God told Peter that uh, he, that he was going to be uh, that to, to preach to the Gentiles. And verse 8, so God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit as he did to us. Well, that's an approved example. God approved of the Gentiles receiving the gospel. Yeah. And then, verse 9, and made no distinction between them and us, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put, uh, test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither uh, our fathers nor we were able to bear? There's your necessary inference. They said, listen, if it didn't work for us, why would we expect it to be any different for the Gentiles? You, you can't put something on them that didn't work for the Jews. They use all three methods to determine, hey, God doesn't want the Gentiles to have to follow the Old Testament law. Yeah. Okay. We've got a couple of emails. Kent says just exactly what we've just been saying. Uh, I mean, to the letter, says just what we've been saying. And we got an email from Grant, Jacob, and he says the same thing. Uh, the three basic ways we establish Bible authority, direct command or precept, and the observance of the Lord's Supper do this uh, uh, in remembrance of me, the Lord said. Approved example, the time of observance is on the first day of the week when we gather together to break bread, Acts 20, verse 7. And the necessary inference or implication or conclusion is that the frequency of observance uh, is on every first day of the week. If the observance is to be weekly, the day of the week is... If if the observance... Uh, now, let me see if I'm getting Grant right. If the observance is to be, a, to be weekly, the day of the week is given. Uh, and he referenced Sabbath day for the Israelites, first day of the week for us. If something else, if it was to be something else, then more information would have to be supplied. Every other, every other first day of the week. Well, then that would be different. But since it just says first day of the week, since it just specifies the day of the week, then you have to infer that it's every time that day comes around. All right. Kent says all of these three concepts demonstrate the necessity of observance of the Lord's Supper. The concept of statement demonstrates such in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 and through 30. The concept of example demonstrates such in Acts 20, verse 7. The concept of inference and or implication proves such by 1 Corinthians 16, verse tw- verses 1 and 2. The local church is to assemble every first day of the week. The Lord's Supper is to be observed in the worship assembly, Acts 20, verse 7. Therefore, we are to observe the Lord's Supper in the worship assembly every first day of the week. Thank you, Ken, for that. All right, good. All right, so I think we've nailed that down. That's that's real basic stuff, Jacob. I mean, that's... And we've been over that again and again over the last 17 and a half years of the virtual Bible study. But it cannot be stressed enough because when those simple principles are violated, basically Bible authority is like the rules of the game. You've got to have a rule book. You've got, you've got to have a, you have to have agreement upon the rules because if you don't, then it's just chaos. So think about 
a baseball game. If we don't agree that three strikes and you're out, three outs and the inning's over, anything that goes to the right of this line or to the left of that line is a foul ball. Uh, if it goes past the fence back out yonder, that's a home run. Uh, if, if we don't have the basic rules of the game agreed upon and everybody's just doing their own thing, then it's just chaos. Yeah, you, couldn't play, you couldn't play a simple sandlot baseball game if you didn't have the rules agreed upon. Yeah, And so the same thing is true about religion. If we don't agree upon the rules, we're going to end up right where we are in the religious world. Right. And that's just total confusion and division. Yeah. People say, well, you're being divisive by demanding that you have to have Bible authority and demanding that we have to have no. It's the opposite of that. It's divisive to just do whatever you want. We are uh, we're uh, promoting unity by being unified by the, on the same standard, God's yeah. word, yeah. and demanding that we have to follow it and it alone. Exactly Otherwise, right. we'll be divided. Exactly right. All right. Let's grab our break, Jacob. And when we come back from this, we want to talk about five common errors that people make in applying Bible authority. And the first of them is the one that you just mentioned. You really don't have to have authority. You can do anything you want, any way you want. All right. We'll do that on the other side of this week's bullet points. Stay tuned. We're back right after this. Use your Internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Who can deny the importance of reading the Bible? It is the inspired Word of God, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It is the light that will guide us in this life, Psalm 118, verse 105. It is the standard by which we will be judged, John 12, verse 48. And it is able to save our souls, James 1, verse 21. And so for most of us, the question is not, should we read the Bible? We know that we should. But in all honesty, we have to admit that we don't read it as often or as thoroughly as we should. The reality of this situation reflects a basic problem of attitude on our part. Too often, the few moments that we do spend in study of God's Word are prompted from a I-have-to viewpoint. We'll never be very good Bible students until we can approach this study with a I-want-to attitude. Someone has suggested that the Bible should be read in much the same way that you might read a love letter. Did anyone ever have to force you to read a love letter? Of course not. When such a letter arrives in the mail, you tear open the envelope and quickly read through the letter to get to the main ideas. But then, before laying the letter aside, you read it again, this time more slowly, hoping to get even more meaning. You will probably read the letter again several times, pondering carefully over every word, before finally putting it away in some special place to be saved. Why all the interest in this letter? Because it's from someone you love. Now, have you ever thought about the Bible in this same way? It will affect your attitude toward this love letter from God. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hello, my name's Jeffrey Vernon. I'm 13, and this is the Virtual Bible Study. That was me five years ago. Now I'm 18, and I still love listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Broadcasting around the world with <laughs> now I'm 28 years old. This world, the Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, yeah, guys. Yeah, so no, don't tell it how old that one is. Uh, Jeff, Jeffrey is... Uh, Probably close to 30 now. Yeah, I think he's at least 28. So I think yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that last uh, ad update is probably t- at least 10 years old. Jeffrey helped us on the virtual Bible study a lot in the early years. Yeah. Yep. Uh, all right. So uh, let's talk about some of these common errors that people make relative to applying the principles of Bible authority. And one of the ways, which is a very common way, Jacob, is that people have the idea that really you don't even have to have authority. You can do you can do all kind of things 
for which there is no Bible authority. Yeah, right. And uh, that's just uh, that's that's happening. In, in fact, I've actually heard people say that we do lots of things for which we have no authority. That is a Pandora's box right there. Exactly right. Still. And and it's actually condemned in scriptures. Colossians 3, verse 17. Colossians three seventeen says, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Notice, whatso, whatsoever you do, that's all inclusive. Everything you do, do in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, that expression, doing doing something in the name of the Lord Jesus, in the name of, is an expression that denotes authority. I've always used, it probably has worn thin over the years, but I've always used the illustration of a police officer pursuing a burglar, and he yells out, stop in the name of the law. Well, the police officer is saying that he has the authority of the law behind him to instruct this fellow to stop. And so stop in the name of the law, that's an expression of authority. Yeah. And and I believe that we have here in Colossians 3.17 a requirement that everything we do be done by the Lord's authority. Absolutely. And we have other passages that would give us the same. Romans 4.14, 4, Romans 14, verse 23 says, uh, whatever is not of faith is sin. If you don't do it by faith, it's sin. Romans 10, verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I've got to have authority for all I do. Colossians 3.17 says that. Romans 14, verse 23 says, if I'm doing something without faith, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10.17. So there's another uh, set of passages that teach the same thing that Romans, Colossians 3.17 says. If you're going out on a limb without knowing that God wants this me to do this, I have authority from him, you're sinning. Because you're doing it without faith, you're violating Colossians 3.17. Exactly right. Now, one of, the, one of the things that, that people will use to try to enhance this argument, I, I don't have to have authority as long as it accomplishes good. Uh, uh, look how much good is being done. I may not be able to go to the Bible and show from the Bible that it should be done, but my judgment is it just does a lot of good. Well, actually, God is the one who gets to say what is good. Yeah. In Second Timothy three sixteen and 17, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. If it's a good work and God wants you to be doing it, the Scripture tells you you don't have to invent it on your own. Yeah. Um, and when we say, again, when we say oh, we're do, that, that we don't have to have authority, we can do whatever we want, then if you say you can do this without authority, then I can take it one step farther, and Kyle can take it one step farther, and we can go as far as we want away from the Bible and Bible authority, and no one can say anything to us. If we're going to be logical and consistent, if you do something without Bible authority, I can do whatever I want without Bible authority. Yeah. And that gets us to where we are today, again, where you've got the preacher or the pastor of churches that is riding a bull during Sunday worship services. The guy down in Mississippi, you've seen that one where the the preacher floats in to the service I, in the ceiling. Like, they, like, you know, they got these stage things where the guy's got the wire around his waist. He floats in and hovers down to the pulpit. You see that, Kyle? <laughs> no, but on but, the well, same vein, you know, I've said, it was... Actually, on multiple accounts on social media, it was this, some church, I'm not sure the location, was preparing for their Christmas 
play or some kind of performance they were having. And they were like, they had the uh, the booms, and they were just like, people were floating in and out on like cables and doing all kinds of things, practicing. And I was actually surprised that there was this, people were commenting that, like, this is what churches have become. This yeah. is where this is where we're yeah. at. Yeah. This is like, why can't it be simple anymore? But you kind of want to say, like, it can be simple. It <laughs> yeah. can be as simple as the gospel is already. <laughs> but, but, but again, people are seeing people. We have to be consistent with this. Yeah. It, people, it turns their stomach when they see stuff like that, Kyle, when you see the fireworks at church services, all this stuff. It turns people's stomach. But unless you're willing to go all the way back to the scriptures and say, I'm only going to do what the Bible teaches, then you can bite your tongue because you better not say anything if, about if, it. If, if I let you do one thing for which you cannot yeah. establish Bible authority, then, then there's no stopping place. Once that door's open, yeah, you, you can't, you can't say, well, I want to do this, but I'm not going to let you do that. Yeah. Wow, that's not. Oh, that's too there. far. Well, how do you know it's too far? Yeah. you've stepped outside of the Bible. You say, well, I know that the Bible doesn't say this, but to me it seems okay. Well, the bull riding seems like a really good idea to him. So are you going to tell him he's wrong? And, it, and if you can't go back to the Bible and prove everything that you're doing, then you need to keep your mouth shut yeah. about him. Yeah. It's all or nothing, and that's how important this is. We got to uh, be consistent. Uh, get, get our emailers, Jacob, real quick. But I want to just mention, you know, somebody somebody says that we do a lot of things without authority. There's no authority in the New Testament for electric lights. There's no authority for uh, a songbook or pews to set in. We're going to comment about that in a minute. And that's in this realm of expediencies or judgments that that are authorized. And so don't don't be confused with say well we we've got you know we've got carpet on the floor where's the authority for carpet there's authority for carpet uh, and so that does not fall into this category you can do what you want you don't have to have authority we'll talk about that as we get further in our study all right Kent says authority is necessary Colossians three seventeen second John verse nine we have to abide in the doctrine of Christ second John verse nine uh, and so uh, it is important as he mentions there. Um, Grant says, uh, Jesus stated, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, Matthew seven twenty one through 23. If we do things without authority, we're practicing lawlessness and this verse would apply to us. Yeah, just because you put the name religion or Christianity on it and say, hey, we're doing this in the name of the Lord. We're going to give God the glory, give Jesus the glory, but you're doing it without authority. Yeah. Jesus says that won't cut the mustard. I'm not going to be happy with that. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot to say about that. We've got to go quickly, Jacob. Let's, let's, let's catch the next area of abuse about Bible authority. People assume that if God is silent on a thing, then that gives us liberty or license to act. For instance, when we talk about instrumental music, the Bible doesn't say not to. The Bible doesn't say don't use instrumental music in New Testament worship. And some people assume that if, that if God is silent, God, God didn't say anything about instrumental music in the New Testament. He didn't say do it or don't do it. He was silent on the subject. And some people assume that silence gives license to act. 
Well, Kent uh, addresses that very concisely in his email. He says, silence does not authorize. Notice the implication of Hebrews 7, 11 through 14, perhaps the most concise place to show this in Hebrews 7, verse 11. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? In the Old Testament, if you wanted to be a priest, you had to be a Levite and of Aaron's family. Yeah, you had to be a tribe of Levi, but more specifically of the family of Aaron. Right. And Jesus was neither. Verse 12, for the priesthood being changed of necessity, there's also a change of law. For he of he whom these Jesus. things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning the priesthood. Moses hadn't said, you can't be a priest if you're of the tribe of Judah or Dan or whatever, he said, you've got to be of the tribe of Levi. And that was the end of it. So the silence, so Jesus was of the tribe of Judah. He is our high priest, but he couldn't be a priest under the law of Moses. This, By the way, the Hebrew writers make a strong argument that that old law has been abolished. Jesus couldn't be our priest under that old system because you had to be a Levite of the family of Aaron. Jesus was of Judah. Moses didn't say anything about Judah. Moses, the law of Moses was completely silent on the tribe of Judah and the priesthood. Didn't say he could, didn't say he couldn't. It was just silent on that. But the silence certainly didn't give authority. It, when God specifies, that eliminates the options for anything else. He specified Levi. He didn't have to say you couldn't have, you don't, you can't be from Judah. You know, there's a, a, a in a very common sense sort of way, Jacob. You know, we we use that principle every day. You know, a lot of us, even old coots like me, have gotten, you know, to where we order a lot of stuff online. And so we go to the Amazon site, and I suppose they have literally millions of items available on the Amazon mm-hmm. site. There's one little thing I want, and it costs $3.95. And I, I specify that. That's what I want. I don't have to go through the millions of other things that Amazon offers to say, don't send this, don't send this, don't send this. When I specify what I want, I am assured that that's understood, that everything else is excluded. That's the principle we're talking about here. He's updated his example. That used to be the Sears Roebuck's catalog, Kyle. <laughs> nobody knows what that is anymore. Yeah, nobody makes orders for catalogs update. anymore. I'm, yeah. I'm impressed. <laughs> um, Grant said, references Hebrews 7.14. He also references 1 Peter 4.11, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterance of God. You've got to stick with Bible authority, and his silence does not authorize you to act. All right, let's grab our last break, Jacob, and when we come back, real quickly, we've got to talk about, uh, again, changing things that are specified. Uh, We'll talk a little bit more about specified things. All right, and we're going to go fast. We're going to the top of the hour right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Do you remember when elders, deacons, preachers, and Bible class teachers and all church members had strong commitment to the Word? Do you recall when you can always count on book, chapter, and verse preaching from the pulpit? Can you think back to a time when Christians were known as people of the book because they knew their Bible so well? We're still trying to be a church like the church you read about in the Bible. And we're still doing the same things you remember from way back when. Are you longing for a return to the way things used to be? Come and visit. See for yourself. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. 
According to a new survey of Americans, roughly 41% believe in hypnosis, 39% believe in UFOs and extraterrestrials, 29% believe in the law of attraction, which states that positive or negative thoughts will bring corresponding positive or negative experiences. About 27% say they believe in reincarnation, while 26% believe in astrology, 24% believe in parallel realities, and another 24% believe in telepathy. The majority of respondents, 68%, said they at least somewhat agree with the view that, quote, everything happens for a reason, unquote. That information is via the Christian Post. The Word of God says in Romans 1, beginning verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. We're back on the program as we go to the top of the hour here quickly, talking about Bible authority. Dwight and Michelle uh, are referencing Montgomery Wards. The, oh, yeah. The old <laughs> monkey. They used to, Dwight, they used to call it the monkey wards. Yeah. Monkey ward yeah. calendar yeah, uh, ca- uh, back, catalog. Yeah. Well, back in time there. But they, any of those examples work, and uh, they certainly do show that silence is not permissive. Okay. So can uh, take this idea. The, the next point was can we add or change things that God has specified? A lot of people think we can and I want to just use one example, and that is the mode of baptism. So, first of all, let's go back to the Lord's Supper for a minute. You know, I, you know, the Lord in the Lord's Supper, the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine are specified elements, and most people, most people would agree that we need to stick with those things. They've been specified because it's important to them. It's, it, because to, it, that particular thing is important to them. Yeah. But there are some real liberal people who say, well, we can change that. And, you know, the old example we've used over and over again is Pepsi and Coca-Cola. I mean, in the modern age, why not? People eat a lot of pizza and they like Coca-Cola. We'll use those in our memorial of Jesus' death. No, everybody, most everybody, not everybody, but most everybody would say, oh, you cannot do that. Because you got to do what's, what the scriptures call for. Why wouldn't we... Use that same approach on a lot of other questions. For instance, mode of baptism. Every, you know, every Bible scholar acknowledges that when the church began in the first century A.D., that the practice of baptism was exclusively immersion in water. There's and and nobody doubts that. Nobody, no Bible historian or or scholar of the Greek language argues that point it's it's universally agreed but several centuries later they decide well we can alter that we can that that seems clearly what the bible specified but we think we can go to sprinkling you know initially it was called clinical baptism because the idea was this guy is so sick we can't take him out and dunk him and so we just sprinkle water on him but then what again once you cross that barrier jacob once you once you cross that line of what was authorized, no holds are barred. And so now, so then it just became widely accepted. As hey, it worked for him in the hospital. Why yeah. not for me? I mean, yeah. I don't want to get all wet. It would be a lot easier if I just put a little water on my forehead. Yeah. yeah. So, again, when, when God has specified, other things are excluded. Did we get any comments there? Yeah. Um, 
We must not add change what God has specified. He uh, Kent references again Second John nine, uh, 9 through eleven exactly uh, where we got to abide in the doctrine. Um, and Grant says we are not to exceed what is written that you may learn not to exceed what is written. First Corinthians four verse six. When God has specified something, then everything else is excluded. When gopher wood was uh, specified for the building of the ark, all other types of wood were excluded. Yeah, uh, there's an excellent example there. God didn't have to specify. Everything he specified what he wanted, and Noah was not at liberty to change. Okay. All right. Now, now we got. Oh, 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 I think we need to deal with Jacob. The other side of that coin, that some things that God has told us to do, He's told us to do in a general way, and and it would be a mistake to insist on a specific th- way of doing things when God allows a general way of doing things. Uh, uh, and, and to illustrate that, let me give you the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus said, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. He said, Go and teach all nations. Go is a general command. There's lots of ways to go. Now, notice that Jesus didn't say, go on a donkey and teach all nations. If he had said that, then we would be limited in our day to riding donkeys. Yep. But he didn't say that. He So that's a general command. And that being the case, then we are authorized and we are at liberty to use our discretion, use our judgment. Yep. As to be what be the best way. I could walk. I could walk from here to Mexico to preach the gospel. That's a way of going, but it's not a very efficient way. But now I can drive a car or take an airplane. Yep. Yep. There's a lot of more efficient ways, and my judgment would be there's a better way to go than walk. Walking is a way. Yep. But my judgment says there'd be a better way to go to Mexico. Yeah. All right. So it is it's an expedient and uh and uh we have generic authority. Um, Grant says when we are given a general command such as go, then we have liberty on our means of transportation. We can fly, take a train, drive, walk, etc. When we assist on a specific mode of transportation, we have gone beyond what is written and um, are binding when we have no authority to bind. That certainly is something we have to be careful. I about. think that's I think that's the issue we got to really be on guard yep. about because if you if you begin to in, in areas where we are generally authorized to act, if you begin to insist on a specific that suits your preferences, then you're binding where the Bible hasn't bound, and that's that's a sin too. Yeah, and that is a problem and a, and a temptation for for those who've done something one way for a long time is to begin to believe that that's the only way it can be done. We are confident we're acting by authority by what we're doing. But we need to understand and step back to realize, well, we're acting based upon general authority and not specific authority. And be careful that we're not binding in areas of general authority. Yeah. So uh, we, we talked earlier about Hebrews 10.25, the command to assemble, yeah. a direct command. We're commanded to assemble. Implied in the command to assemble is to have a place, a designated place for such assemblies. Now that that's it's a general that's a general command assemble. We have a we have general authority therefore to provide for that assembling. Now 
We could we could designate the place to be under a shade tree in Murray County Park. That'd be okay on some Sundays of the year, probably a limited number of Sundays of the year before it gets too hot or too cold or it's raining or what have you. But judgment is that wouldn't be a very good choice. It'd be better to have it in a building somewhere. Well, if you're going to have it in a building, you can rent a building, you can own a building, you can borrow a building, but that's still all within the bounds of general authority. Well, if we're going to have it in a building, uh, what are we going to use to light the building? Uh, We could use candles. We could use flashlights. We could use electricity uh, running throughout the building to provide for. Well, again, it's all within the realm of the authority to assemble and a place to assemble, and we would use our best judgment. But, you know, those, those judgments, and, and that's that's the last part of that question I wanted to ask you. Using expedience without limitation is, is, a, is a problem. So we're going to have electric lights in the church building, but we're going to buy $100,000 chandeliers to hang from the ceiling. Well, somebody says, you, you said we had discretion. We, we could use expedience. That's not that's that's not a good expedient choice to have a hundred thousand dollar chandelier for lighting when it could be done for much less expense and more efficiently. Well, because expedients have to also be uh, authorized in and of themselves, and they, they have they to have, follow biblical principles, and they have to edify. Yeah. Uh, uh, in uh, 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 I'm trying to think of the verse now. I'm drawing a blank on. It. Maybe somebody's got it. I think it's a. Uh, uh, Oh, Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but all things do not edify. Yep. Oh, somebody somebody in the chat room, help me out on that. I'm drawing a, I'm drawing a blank on that. Uh, can't find it. Oh. Uh, Romans 14. No, I don't think that's what I'm thinking Corinthians. Of. Uh, well, we'll, we'll we'll think about it. We'll think we'll, we'll think we'll, of it. We'll find it. Yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, but uh, the uh, we have to have we we can't violate other principles even though we have an expedience. For instance, God uh, tells us to be good stewards, right? Now I can't a uh, hundred thousand dollar light bulb would violate that principle, so I couldn't do that. God tells me not to steal. Well, He's given me an expedient. Uh, I can't go and steal the light bulbs so that we can have Yeah, we're going to have lights, but we're going to go out and rob uh, Home Depot to get the light bulbs. Right. Uh, so my expedients have to be lawful, lawful and authorized as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like First right. uh, Corinthians 10.23. Is that what I'm looking for? First Corinthians 10.23. I was on that page. I just... Yeah, there it is. Thank you, Kyle. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. And so even in the realm of things that are lawful, they still have to be expedient or in good judgment, and they have to be edifying. White and Michelle in the chat room reference 1 Corinthians chapter 10, or 6, 6 verse 12. 2. 12. 6, 6 verse 12. 12. Uh, 6 verse 12. Oh, that's it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. Yeah. Oh, similar passage there. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right, good. All right. Uh, so several issues, big mistakes that people make 
relative to Bible thread. Have we covered our emails, Jacob? Yeah, here's what Grant says about that. Failing to allow expedience and or using expedience without any limitations. Rules on expedience must be lawful. First Corinthians 10. There it is. Grant had it in his email. We've just looked at his email. Cannot be specific. If thing is specified, there is no room for expedience. Must edify. First Corinthians 10, 23 through 33. First Corinthians 14, verse 26. Even lawful things must edify or build up the saints. You know, that's right. We might say, hey, listen. That uh, that strobe light is authorized because you got to have light, and uh, and and I can read under a strobe light, but I'm the only one who can. It makes me have an epileptic seizure. Yeah. So then that would we'd say no. Yeah. Uh, must not cause another Christian to stumble. First Corinthians ten verse thirty two. First Corinthians eight verses seven through thirteen. There's one that we need to be very careful about. Exactly. Especially for those maybe who are younger Christians, or yeah. maybe those who are older Christians or more you know, set in their ways. Yeah. If I'm going to do something that, oh, that's my liberty, but I'm going to make you stumble, then I'm not authorized to uh, exercise yeah. First my First Corinthians 14 would definitely teach that. Romans 14, yeah. Uh, if an expediency meets these qualifications, 14, then yeah. we have authority to use them, yeah. Grant says. Exactly right, Grant. And Kent says, when God has given general authority, one must recognize that such does not include specific instruction. Hebrews 10, verse 25. We're specifically required to assemble. However, there is no specific instruction as to the physical or exact place of assembly. Failing to recognize for usage of expedient methods can lead one into error of lawmaking. On the other hand, if we do not recognize the limitations of expedience, one can fall into the error of adding to the Word of God and rejecting the concept of authority. Thank you, right, Kim. All right, Kim. Thank you for that. All right. All right. Uh, well, and, then, and then Dwight and Michelle in the chat room. Many have altered the clothing issue, so many think it's okay to wear what you want versus what the Bible actually teaches. On modesty. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. All right. Good. All uh, right. So I've, again, I was trying to think here as we bring the virtual Bible study to a wrap up next week. We just had this week and next week. I was trying to think of a really important theme to review tonight, and I think we've hit on one, Jacob. That's so important: Bible authority. All right. Absolutely. We have to we have to operate within those constraints, Kyle, because when we deviate, we are not pleasing to God. No. I think this hangs all this. On this hangs all of what we do, all how we worship, how we you know, live our lives. So we have to live and do it by authority. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Absolutely. Kyle, thanks for helping us get it That's out tonight. Good. good study. Dad, enjoyed being with you. Thanks, Jacob. Thank and, you. and remember, next week, all you who are our regular listeners and participants, we'd, we'd love for you to plan to call in the program next week. We're going to be talking. We're just going to be sort of reminiscing about the virtual Bible study over the years and all the different topics we've discussed, different interviews we've conducted. But we'd love to hear from you. Just, just give us a quick call and say, you know, wh- where you've listened from and, and how long you've been a listener, that sort of thing. Plan to call in next week. All right. We're glad you joined us on the program tonight. We hope this study has been beneficial to you, and we hope you make plans to be back here this time next week. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College 
College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.